Hey everybody, it's uh, Robert Gowan here once again at uh, Pearl and Pine Brewery where we're very thankful for them allowing us to come in studio and use their great facility to host this episode. And I'm joined by my co-host. How are you guys? It's Kyle. And um, we're going to talk with someone now. There's a book out uh, that's been out for a little bit of time and uh, we both had the opportunity to read it. And it's called Flying the Tyrant, the Declassified Story of Flying Saddam Hussein, Keeping Secrets, and Escaping Assassination. And we're joined today by Muhammad. And thank you so much, Muhammad, for coming all this way from Michigan to join us uh, on the episode. Thank you very much. First of all, I would say thank you very much about this uh, invitation and uh, for the studio. I don't know what's the name of the studio. Uh, Pearl and Pine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And thank you to you also, Kel. So, uh, yes, I'm ready here for this uh, mission. Yeah, great. <laughs> I love it, the mission. So we had the opportunity to look over the book and, and read it and everything, and there's so much that we took away. Let's start off in the very beginning because you grew up with a father that was already in the defense side of things in Iraq, and you had a, a desire to fly, I think, because he was flying, correct? Yes. Uh, actually... I was born in uh, an air base in uh, Mosul, north of Iraq. And at that time, my father was, he was in Habaniya Air Base. But somehow, they, they moved there for a couple of months, then we get back to Habaniya Air Base, which is like Tammuz Air Base. So when I open my eyes, I'm surrounded with the aircraft and airplane, everything. And uh, I start, uh, I see my dad, he's always his uniform. And uh, I, start, I hear my, like all the time, the engines in my ears. So when I grow up, actually, uh, I start, first start when I drawing, drawing airplane. First think when I do from the party airplane. Uh, even like uh, inside the house, I try to move like from kitchen to the uh, living room or whatever I like, do like that. Mm -hmm. Go like, <laughs> like airplane. So actually it's in my blood. So that's how we start. Yeah, yeah. You, you describe that within the book of like being like it, probably most school age kids where you're out there Flying your plane, right? Or, you know, like whatever your dad did, right? Yeah, like, playing army yeah, yeah. or whatever the case may be. And for you, this was kind of a love. So, um, did you end up going? Because I don't know if the book really covered this. Did you end up going to like uh, what we call a university? Um, and and before you end up going into flight school? No, actually, uh, as soon as I finish the high school, immediately straight ahead to the Air Force College. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So how did that work with you going into like the military then? Was it a, you were required to go into the military? Was it a, something as part of being a citizen or? Uh, no, actually, uh, as soon as you're Iraqi citizen, uh, you can apply for the Iraqi Air Force College, but you have to go through, uh, they call medical tests. They check everything, like ENT, like ears, eyes, uh, heart, uh, fitness, all over. So if you are fit for flying, then after that, they uh, give you like a time for another inter interview. They, they said like from the Iraqi Air Force, like high ranks, like maybe five peoples, four peoples, like pilots. Mm -hmm. So they, they throw a couple of questions to you. They see your personality. Are you fit to be a pilot? Even if you pass. Even if you pass the medical test, that means it's not like you, that's done, you're going to be in the Air Force. After the interview, they decide. So after the interview, after the physical exam, yeah. you still have to be able to prove yourself, even though that your father was in the military and everything else, you still have to prove that you can actually fly a plane. I mean, it's one thing to be a kid and sitting out there with a toy. Yeah. It's another thing to be able to sit behind uh, and learn about aviation and understand the aircraft, what it takes and everything else, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But most of them, those like people that for interview, like they, my dad, he used to like train them. My father, I mean, he was trained, they, so they know me very well. And actually, to be honest with you, like I start fly with my father when I was a little kid, like 
he, he put me in his lap. Then we fly. Then after that, like I grow up, like I was, I used to fly with him, like completely take off, land, and or do some maneuvers. When I was like 15, 14, like that's how I start. So that's why when I finish high school, straight ahead to the Air Force College. That's awesome. Most people's dad teach him how to drive a truck, and his dad's teach him how to fly a plane. That's, that's yeah. That yeah. Also, and also, I t my oldest brother, also the same. He straight ahead to the Air Force College, but he, he get killed uh, in 1984 by crash lander during Iraq-Iran war. Oh no! Yeah, he used to fly a Mirage F1. Okay. Yeah, and he graduated from France Air Force, like France Air Force. So, do you guys have like a similar program where you go through like basic aviation, and then you end up going to some kind of advanced aviation by picking a, a select aircraft? Uh, based on how well you performed. Yes, exactly. You go to the Air Force College, then after that, uh, start like filtration. So this person to be fighter is good for fighter, and the other one he can like handle it, like he has phobia or something like that. So they put him like for uh, army aviation for helicopters or for transport. Depend. Okay, so it's very yeah. much like the. Uh, you it sounds yeah. like yeah, the, the same model. Like they're gonna, they're not just gonna put anybody in a fighter. They're not gonna put anybody in in transport. You're gonna, you're gonna select in. They're gonna base that off of. You may yeah, go yes, helicopter. You, yeah, you may yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we follow like uh, British. Uh, okay. Rules, like yeah. exactly system. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So that no, that's very interesting. It makes total sense now. Yeah. And and I'm not sure that most of our listeners understood that piece of it or how you guys end up going through the process. Um, at least I I certainly didn't understand that. Um, so you end up going into the Air Force, but through that you must have been very successful because of your previous flight experience with your father, because after that you end up getting selected into a very special unit. Yeah, exactly. Because I have already, I have the knowledge, I have the like future, I have the everything like in my head. So even like when I went to Air Force College, or they sent me after that to Jordan. So all my tests like full mark, full mark. Even first one I get solo, first one I get finish everything. First one like uh, low level navigation. Any any program, I'm first one like done. And after that, so my dad, he put me like for to the uh, VIP squadron. I mean, they need, they need the VIP, they need like special pilots also, mm -hmm. like professional, like uh, the high knowledge, high standard. Well, you would think that the, even in our own country, the guys that are flying Air Force One and Air Force Two and Marine One, they're probably the best of the best. Exactly. Probably, I'm sure they are. They're probably the, yeah. the best ones and yeah. that's why they're there. Yeah. So I think, you know, over that time period, um, you know, you ended up like going to the VIP squad, but you didn't actually know at that time frame. I don't think it didn't sound like who exactly might end up setting in your aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like I went to VIP. I know like VIP is like delegation and uh, many ministers, uh, but I didn't think one day I'm going to fly with President Arafat or with the President Saddam, no, no, no at all. But it's happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we're gonna get to that in just a minute. So what was the timeline then that you ended up getting into VIP uh, squadron, what, what year? I got there in 1984. Okay. Okay, so your brother passed away yeah. He was killed in the crash in 1984. Yeah, 1984, exactly. Were you already in the squadron at that time, or did no, that no, happen before? No, no, I was, I was uh, like, I was, uh, on December, I get in the squadron, okay. and he get on uh, killed in uh, June, okay. June twenty third. So we're looking at six months later. Six months later. That must have been hard for your father, honestly. Even my mom. Yeah, because yeah. you just had you just lost a brother. Then you're you're coming up six months later saying, "Hey, uh, he was like twenty four years old when he get killed. Yeah, he's so young. Very young. Yeah. Uh, and the, the problem, like he graduated from uh, France uh, in uh, nineteen eighty two. I mean, June 23rd, 1982. He gets killed on June 23rd, 1984, after two years exactly. Yeah, yeah. very devastating for the family, for sure. Yeah, especially um, my mom, yeah. In this time frame, 
What was kind of the political climate in the country? Yeah, it's 1984 was like a war with Iran, actually. Yeah, at that time, because it started from 1980, I mean 1980 till uh, 1988, so eight years. So the political, like, you know, most of the Arab like, was beside Saddam against Iran. But it was like stable, even war, but stable country. Yeah. The war is like by, just by the borders. Nothing happened like by the cities, beside Basra. Basra because it's a border city, and Fao also as well. Yeah, but you guys were still in a war. I, like still, like everything going on. Everything like goes smooth, everything. I, I didn't think about it I, direct. <laughs> yeah, so how was it when time went by and all of a sudden these vans and vehicles start pulling up and you start seeing the, the political figures that start getting into your aircraft that you're now as a young pilot going to have to fly. Oh, that's, that's happened to me. It's a funny thing actually. <laughs> one time I was, uh, one time I was taken, uh, they call it Chief Staff Army. Yeah. Uh, he's General Shanshal. He's old, old. So I want, I want to take him from Baghdad, fly him to Kirkuk, north of Iraq. So um, when he, he walked into the aircraft, and my squadron leader follow him, because he's a high rank, like high position, he's chief of staff army. So he, he, when he get into the aircraft, he say, good morning, guys. Then he walk in inside, then he return back. He look at me and he tell my squadron leader, hey, his name Auf. Auf, you can't find youngest than this guy, take me <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to Kirkuk. <laughs> because it was like, like a baby face and yeah. there was like a first flight left in it at that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he told him, he told him, this is uh, uh, Mohammed. He's uh, General Adil Suleiman's uh, son. Oh, he said, yeah, so your father, he knows my, you know, my father. So you're going to be a good pilot, right? I told him, yes, like my father, sure, sir. So I take him to, to Kirkuk, north of Iraq, actually. So I make very, very smooth land. They call it kiss the ground. <laughs> then after that, everywhere we go, he requests, special request. I need the pilot, Mohammed. Yeah. <laughs> should be there. Yeah. Totally, and, and yeah. I, actually I remember you uh, mentioning so, that within the book. Yes, I mentioned it. So uh, even when, like, even when you get like VIP movement, like, yeah. uh, like high uh, mission, they call it uh, VIP, like top VIP, special flight. So even the, my squadron leader chose me or like, because, you know, I'm uh, like high, high standard than the others. I don't like then the others, but they they judge they judge. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. How many might. people were in like that VIP squadron or that VP, VIP uh, area? We were. How like, many pilots? I mean, pilots or pilots? Yeah. Yeah, pilots. I was I think it was eighteen. Okay. Yeah. So when the when the chief of staff of the army was requesting you, he was requesting you over seventeen other people. Yes. Yeah. And all those eighteen. Pilots, we are 18 pilots. No one can fly with Saddam unless he pass, pass the medical exam, which is have every six months we go to a special uh, hospital. They check everything. If you have fungus in your feet, between your fingers, I mean toes, that if, if there's like VIP movement, no, no flying that way. That person can fly. Wow. Yeah. So the, the, the guy the, that sat with you, because I was trying to understand in the book, is the guy that always was like your co-pilot, was he always junior to you? or Yes. So even when you started in the VIP squadron, the person to your right or left, I don't know, which seat were you in? Captain le left seat. Uh, okay. And, uh, so the, the person who flew with you was usually junior to you. 
Yes. Inexperience. Yes. That spoke a lot of volumes. That's a standard, like uh, anywhere. Like, yeah. you know, start yeah. like training as a rice seat, as a co pilot, they yep. call it, until he get qualified, then get another, like, course or test to be a captain. Okay, so you joined VIP squadron in 1984. I was co-pilot. You were co-pilot. Ah, okay, co-pilot. when did that switch make to After pilot? a year and a half. After a year and a half. So After 85, a year and a half, yeah. almost 86, we're looking at, yeah. we're looking at you, you're taking the left seat, Yeah. and the Minister of Defense, or the Chief chief of the, of the Army, I'm sorry, yeah. is is requesting you. So you're gaining, a, you're gaining your name for yourself within the squadron within the Air Force at that point, it had, had to have been, if you're yeah. part of the best 18 and you're number one of 18, like you're, you gotta be making a name for yourself. Yeah. So um, when that, uh, moving forward from that, um, when did you start seeing the uptick of, cause there, I'm sure most people of the VIPs that were available for you to fly, I'm sure there was a, an echelon or a uh, like Schedule. an order of merit, like an like order of merit, like Saddam was at the top, and then, but those people started requesting you based off of what? Like that's maybe that's what I'm asking. I think it was the chief of staff. Once you flew the staff, yeah, chief of staff. Yep. Because like uh, I fly very smooth with him, and actually uh, because my father a pilot. Yeah. So also be I'm a pilot so mean because my father he was like uh, number one in Iraqi Air Force he used to be a pilot so he requests me because he he feel like more safe okay because my father and they make a good land and smooth flight so he starts uh, requesting okay. me. Yeah. all right so we're looking at a pilot now he has the credentials he has the background he has everything he does everything correct Yes. Everything is so them, some of them like harsh with the control, yeah. like sharp turn, uh, heavy land, uh, whatever. Like then those. I think that leads us into flying yeah. and like even the brakes when you start yeah. when when you like completely stop the aircraft. You should be like a special technique, very very smooth. Don't like make it like goes like that. Hold the aircraft shaking. No. Then then I have to ask when you had to fly in the atypical conditions because at one point you were. You were forced to fly through and land in. Yeah, talk about the story because uh, I know it's in the book, but yeah. I want uh, the listeners to kind of understand the atmosphere in which you live because this was not. It. I know your father was an important figure, mm-hmm. um, you know, within the military, um, but you were in a tough situation too because if you did something wrong yeah there were major repercussions exactly it's not like the american air force mm-hmm. if you did something wrong mm-hmm. you know you made a, a hard landing if you did something wrong so anyway you ended up getting somebody and you can talk about who that was into your aircraft who didn't care whether there was a sandstorm up ahead they so kind of paint that picture of uh, to express just the difficulty in the situation that you were in. Yeah, that was actually, uh, he was uh, Saddam's uh, brother, Sabahawi. He's very tough guy, tough person. Uh, was, uh, I want to take him from Baghdad to Amara. Amara south of Baghdad, about 300 kilometers, about around maybe 200 miles. So it was like clear, weather clear at Baghdad, but there, the sandstorm. So before we fly, we take the weather for destination. We check the weather where, where it's like, where we go. Sure, it's like, what they call it, no time also. Yeah. Any restriction, any new update, you have to be updated completely, frequencies, everything. So he went to the aircraft, then I tell him, I, one of the, uh, what they call it, uh, security, his security. I told him there is like a sandstorm over in destination, like an Amara. He went, tell him, and he said, call him. I went to see him. I get up from my seat to the back, to the cabin. I told him, yes, sir. He said, he said, what sand are you talking about? I told him, in destination, in Amara. He said, look, we can see God. Did you see there, God? You can, can see my God there. What are you talking about? And he shouts, he says, fly. Okay. So 
I went to the, my seat and my co-pilot said, how was going on? Why are you yelling? I start cussing and it's very, very like uh, quiet. So I fly there. I swear God, I swear God, I was like ap approaching about 100 meter, 100 kilometers away, saw the like piece of layers, like a cloud, but sand surrounding that area. Radius about 100 kilometers. It's almost like 60 miles. That's radius, diameter, I mean. So I went there. I tell myself, like, let me approach if I can make it. But that problem, that's, that's uh, airport. It doesn't have like an uh, advanced uh, nav aid. So just like they call it NDB, like non-directional beacon, like just simple one, because it's not like a main airport, a secondary airport. So I, I start doing approach on that, but I don't want to like uh, pass my limitation because each nav aids has limitation. If you're approaching like, let's we say, sorry, let's we say uh, 900 feet, if you didn't see the ground in this equipment, this nav aids, you have to go around. Other equipment, 500 feet. Other equipment, maybe 400 feet. So I can't, I can't make it. So pass overshoot. So immediately set heading to Baghdad. I don't want to like make it again. Because if, if his life, like, uh, like he's, he, he don't want his life, I want my life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. if you flew him in there and killed him, that wouldn't have been good for you and yeah. your family. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I said heading to Baghdad. Then we land there in Baghdad. So he get up from the aircraft. He just look at me like in like side view. Like he look at me like this. I tell him, I told you guys. So after that, and uh, this, this, this incident, I pass it to my squadron leader. I tell him, that's what happened. He told me, why you fly? I tell him, because he, he get loud on me, and he shouted, he told me to fly. So uh, at that time, my squadron leader passed a, a letter to Iraqi headquarter, uh, Air Force headquarter, and then Iraqi headquarter passed to the palace, to Saddam. So Saddam, he get a, bo uh, a letter. No one can get into uh, pilot business, whatever who is. And he signed it. That was, I didn't know that that went all the way to Saddam. Yeah. So yeah. that, okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I missed, I didn't miss that in the book or something. That's actually, actually that second, second yeah. incident with his another his brother yeah that that's was the one with the arabia. monkeys that's, and no no that's in saudi arabia yeah that's a different different yeah. story because we don't have uh, permission to pass over like uh, control mm -hmm. saudi control airspace yeah. yeah we don't have permission and he get loud again there's another brother he yeah. get loud fly so i have to fly i have to wait by rafha vor they call it i have to do a hold about 45 minutes then because otherwise I'm gonna get short fuel. I tell myself within 15 minutes, if I didn't get permission, I'm gonna get back to Baghdad because it's not enough fuel for, I, I mean, it's enough fuel for to land in Jeddah, but I don't have fuel for diversion. If something happened in this airport, so I get to divert to another airport, I don't have short fuel. You have to calculate everything. So after that incident also, that's I think it was a week after a week after, his another brother, his brother. So also pass it, my squadron pass it to the headquarters, Iraqi Air Force headquarters, and then to palace, to so Saddam, he write that letter, and we stick it in the airplane. Any VIP pass, try to get into our business, Tom Reed, Saddam Hussein, by himself, like he signed it, shut off completely. <laughs> <laughs> So you like tape that to the door? Yes. Or? yes. Oh, yes. nice. Yes. All the aircraft, you put them there. <laughs> Make copies and put it there. Oh, that's, that was smart, actually. Yeah. So maybe help the, uh, I mean, I think people have probably heard about this, but maybe it's helpful for people to understand the pressure that you were actually under in flying these uh, brothers of Saddam Hussein. And um, if you made a mistake, what 
what could happen, how, how that culture was that you lived in where you're like on pins and needles all the time. They actually, when I fly with Saddam, actually more comfortable than his, uh, yeah. his brothers. And if you did something wrong, I mean, uh, like you don't mean it, maybe they pass it or they give you like uh, punished, like uh, what they call it, uh, something like for like a written like a write-up or write like, like write somebody's saying yes. like they're, they're just documenting the fact yes, that you made yes, a mistake. Yes, write up and yeah. keep it in your like documents, in yeah. your background. Mm-hmm. Or if you did something very like they can move you to another squadron. They kick you out from the squadron. Did you ever have to worry about like your family or anything yes, like that? Yes, a lot. Okay. A lot, a lot. Can you can you kind of expound or explain that a little bit more? Uh, just like what was some of the threats, or maybe what were some of your fears at the time for your family? Maybe if yeah, actually, because you know those like top secret missions with uh, Saddam, that keep yeah. I start worry worry about myself and my family as well, because when they say he said like. Did you see something, especially when he met uh, Prime Israeli Prime right, Minister? Arafat, yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, uh, in uh, Mr. Rabin. Yeah. Yeah. When you flew in and uh, yes. you yeah. saw him and you saw yeah. him get off the other aircraft. I'm sorry, exactly. this is in the book. For those who want to know, yeah. go yeah. get the book. And and uh, a meeting with uh, half of the Assad, like which is a Syrian uh, president at that time, now his uh, son. So. That that mean like I saw them, well, I see what's going on, so they can take my life very easy to keep the secret. So that's um, a scare from that missions actually. Yeah. yeah well, sometime, you knew. Sometime, well, sorry, uh, sometimes when I fly this kind of mission, I start worried like for a month. So I start thinking even when my ring door like bell ring door. Somebody come! Oh my God! It come to take me! Or like, that's that's yeah. pretty serious. That's, that sounds like some yeah. serious anxiety, some serious, exactly, yeah. uh, some serious worry about the blowback from maybe just you even doing your job correctly, just simply being there. That's why. Just the fact that <laughs> yeah. your your eyes laid eyes on certain people or certain things that maybe not yes, everybody was yes, had some, knowledge of. Sometimes I tell myself like. I, why I involve myself here in this, this squadron? Like, should be like another squadron. I live my life and easy. Don't start worry. Think about a lot about my family, about my kids, about myself, my father. Like, but I love it. Yeah, I'm a pilot. Like, you know, just uh, this is my job to carry like president, ministers, VIP, delegation, um, any, any high, high, high rank po- like position in Iraqi army, uh, high position, everything. How long did you end up flying Saddam Hussein? So, or even his brothers and dignitaries. How long did you end up doing this for? Actually, I started from 1984. I started my service in the VIP squadron until 1993. After that, uh, I moved to, uh, they call it FIS, Flight Instructor School, to be instructor in 1993. And uh, to be honest with you, after, from that time, from 1984 to 1991, from 1991, nothing there. Just in the VIP squadron, no flying because we don't have aircraft. All of them, they get damaged, like completely bombed with the U.S. Air Force, like in 19. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask Storm. about after Desert Storm. What yeah. were y'all's capabilities? Like you just mentioned, there were there wasn't any aircraft. It was a lot of damage and stuff like that. Yeah, so. that, actually, that's that was in 19, 1991 because it starts uh, Kuwait liberation in nineteen ninety one. I mean, uh, January 17, 1991 start that one so we start doing evacuation for the aircraft because probably they get the information uh, all those 30 countries are gonna hit Iraq so we try to hide the aircrafts don't put them in the same spot so some of them we, we just like 
two here, two in this air base, two in another base. So it was taken, actually it was three aircrafts. Uh, we evacuated in, uh, they call it uh, west of Iraq. It's al Qadisiya air, uh, air Base, which is, I think now it's uh, in Al-Assad. Al-Assad Air Base, uh, now the Al American there. Yeah, yeah. Al-Assad Air, Al Al Air yeah. Base. Which is like biggest mm -hmm. air, f uh, air base in the in the, in the whole region area, like in the whole Arab country also, not in, only in Iraq. So uh, we take it two days before the desert storm starts. Uh, we try to put it in shelters. So on 17th at four o'clock in the morning, I was there like uh, sleeping in the rooms like we start we, we staying there at that air base like boom everywhere like everything upside down so uh, after like try to run to the shelter we run there and start like bombing the air base till six o'clock for two hours and two aircraft actually they fly make 25 they fly from the uh, from the that base uh, at that time I think they shoot down one of the American which is uh, they call it the Spiker he was F-18 make 25 shoot him shoot him my friend I know him like he from my course the same so uh, but at that time like war so they can't find him. They find him later by United Nations. They try uh, check something in the desert. So they find him completely like just bones. They like the wolves eat them, eat him. I mean, the Spiker. They even they named the air base Spiker Air Base in Tikrit, and that he was captain. Mm. I think. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. We go off a track, no, go back track <laughs> again. <laughs> so, uh, after like, uh, <clears throat> it's like the bombing start, like stable, we get out from the shelter, it's all like castle bombs at that time, especially the tornado, that's from yeah. uh, like England, mm -hmm. tornado because they have that one. And uh, we try to find out our aircraft, all of them completely, just like ruins like just like ashes yeah so it was illusion one of them three are our aircrafts done some of the aircraft like make 25 and make 21 they like uh, they hit it we have just for context we have sitting in front of us a survivor of an american so yeah so <laughs> so we call we call uh, our our base, tell them we're done, that's it, no more aircraft, what are you going to do? They tell come back to squadron. So I went to Baghdad, actually. One of the officers, he went to Baghdad, so we jumped with him, we are three pilots at that time. We jumped with him, and other pilots go, because two pilots, each aircraft, other pilots go with, I don't know where it goes, like, like in other transportation, whatever. So we went to Al Muthanna Air Base, staying there, uh, start like 24, 24 hours, all the way until 9 of, uh, April 9, I mean, April 9, the Iraqi, I mean, uh, American Air Force get into Baghdad. Yeah. All that time, it's bombing like everywhere. Remember the videos. Yeah, yeah and even even like they call it American. They get like a, they call it air security. Like they start uh, uh, go very low. They do maneuver. It's not like 200 feet. So the aircraft they playing whatever they like. Even no piece of bullets. You can nobody can shoot them. Yeah. Did anything survive as far as any of the aircraft? So nothing was there. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. Just one of them, actually, my friend, he fly to uh, to Iran because most of the aircraft, uh, the Air Force aircraft with jet fighters, they evacuated to Iran. I think it was like 170 or 177 aircraft altogether. 
So they take him, fly him to Iran. And uh, Iran, they said, those mine, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was a pretty strategic move on the part of America and hitting pretty much your whole Air Force yeah, in one location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like kind of the point of it at that mm-hmm. point. Like, take out air, gain and maintain air superiority for the push into yeah. south of Baghdad and kind of wait there. And after that, actually, uh, they bring, I think, four aircraft SU, SU 25. Uh, they buy that, buy it from Iran. <laughs> it's our aircraft. <laughs> so yeah. Iran takes the aircraft. Yeah, yeah. They say we're not they giving it back. Part of like you know because the war. Yeah, but say so you just got out of an eight-year war with Iran. Yeah. And then three years later, you guys are saying, hey, hey, can we park in your garage? Pretty much. Yeah, they take it. They told, okay, this is like you know because uh, we lose many things. This is part like of what they call it. Uh, I don't know what they call it actually in English. Uh, like a treaty a or treaty, yeah. Treaty, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of a treaty. Yeah. Kind of the yeah. peace deal, right? This is yeah. you give us this and we'll we'll yeah. we'll put down the arms. I'm assuming that had more to do because it's America, so mm-hmm. let's join forces as Muslim countries. Is that kind of the arrangement do you think that was probably there to be able to park the vehicles and what do you mean? Like a common enemy, you know, it's America, you know, type of thing. Or how- yeah, Saddam, they said, like, you know, because uh, Jordan was also American troop over there. Turkey, NATO, yep. Saudi Arabia, all uh, air bases over there. Kuwait already take us by Saddam. So, you so we don't have any choice. Like only surrounded Iran. By, yeah. yeah, only Iran. So, and uh, they said, like, you know, Saddam, like, okay, Iran also, they hate, they hate America, and Saddam hate America, so let's get together. But he didn't know the result, actually. He gave, him, gave it to them as a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that he uh, did that. He, like, gifted them an Air Force. He, right. Even, even like, uh, airlines. Airlines, even the Boeing. Like the 747? Seven, seven, no, for 747 in Tunis, actually. Uh, 720, uh, 727, 737. So, so, like in Iran. He gave everything. Yeah. Yeah. Stay, actually, one aircraft was, like, uh, grounded because something wrong with it. It doesn't get hit, which is uh, SU, they call Sihoi, SU-24. That's only one left. What happened after that? What did you end up doing? Because there was no air force Sitting, anymore. Sitting, just chilling, playing <laughs> like cards, playing domino, playing, uh, that's, that's what I, yeah. So meanwhile, American forces are right outside the city, ready to invade and everything. What, what, what was your feelings at that time frame? And uh, actually it was like, everybody was happy to get rid of Saddam Hussein at that time. They love America. Please help us because he choked us. Yeah. He like he can't breathe. Like he damaged the country. Everything he, since he 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 like he get the since he get a president. War war everywhere. He get out of Iran Iraqi war. He start with the Kuwait, and he start he like you know threatening Saudi Arabia, threatening Turkey, threatening all over. So uh, imagine, imagine my salary at that time when after like American come and everything, before the American come actually, uh, that's uh, before, I mean, before 19, uh, 2023 and 1993 and 94, my salary is not even two dozen of eggs. Wow. Yes. That's so how it is. You're almost... You're, you're in the position you're in because you love to fly and you love the people of your country. Just the guy that's running your country or the man that's yeah. running your country is, is making it difficult for you to live in your country on a, on a, on a good salary. And yes, he, like uh, you said, he's choking yeah, that, the people. Yeah, exactly. That. That's, that's actually after 2003. Everybody want to get rid of, rid of Saddam. Everybody hate him. Everybody like, you know, because he, as I told you, he, he played in a the country right and left everything so when the american come actually i was very happy 
I actually learned a yeah. lot. I'll be honest, I was a bit naive and wasn't really as familiar as the the two sides of the Muslim religion, you know, Muslim religion that you described in the very early part of the book. Um, because there's the Sunni, Shia, yeah, and, yeah, and yep. so understanding that a little bit better uh, was helpful for uh, a simple reader, somebody who needed to understand the state of affairs, you know, in the country and such. Um, and there's things that we hear uh, in America, but then hearing it from you and hearing it from your context, it was just a little bit different, you know. Yeah, actually, that's what, actually Saddam he started because. Uh, he starts to get his uh, whatever family around him security and he, he tries to start educate them uh, give him like uh, an army uh, college an air force college he try build up his family like uh, cousins and second cousin whatever like around they call it al oja city it's a village actually was now it's getting city so uh, he starts build up that one. So he concentrate on Sunni, Saddam Sunni, and he try to get away from the Shia. I mean, I mean it's the same. Both both of them Muslim. Like here, a Christian, you have uh, Orthodox, you have uh, Baptist, Baptist yeah, Catholic, or Protestant, yeah. whatever yeah. those. Like this is all of them the same. Mm -hmm. The same exactly. So he starts build up that hating, that uh, what they call it, racism, yeah, between Sunni and Shia. So the prejudice against yeah, what was different from him? Yeah. So when uh, even like in 2003, when the American coming, like they were very happy, the Iraqi people, and uh, they hope to get like better future. But I don't know somehow. After two years, like they left the country, it's Aziz, and they let Iran get into Iraq. They control everything. All the organization of Iran, they control. Hold the government of the Iraq. All of them like loyal to Iran. All the Iraqi government, those loyalty to Iran. When was it that you fled the country? What year was that when you left and came? I left to, the country. Yeah. yeah. Actually, and let's do, let's do it like this way. Uh, in 2003, completely the Iraqi army, completely, everybody sat down. They, uh, no more. No more Iraqi army. They, uh, they call it discontinued. <laughs> like, I don't know what they call it in English. Uh, they they basically gave up they or gave up, threw, yeah. down, threw down their arms. Yeah, they yes. threw down their arms. Yeah, exactly. and, and we heard about that. Yeah. So again, this is good hearing it from your perspective yeah, yeah. because what we see on television, oh, everybody's you know they're they're leaving, they're throwing down their weapons, and you know yeah, yeah and, and most of the like like population of the Iraq uh, uh, at that time twenty two million, maybe in, in army maybe three millions in the army. They live from the army, like, because they join the army. So those people, where are they going to go? So no salary, no money, how are they going to live? So because they settled down everything, so uh, the militia start taking place of the Iraqi army. So Moqtada, he start getting a militia. The other one get Amri, they get another militia, that one. So that's why. But militia actually, like, the, the loyalty to person, to one person, but the army, the army loyalty for the whole country is not for the person. So they start, like, getting, uh, hating each other, getting more tension between Sunni and Shia. They start killing each other. Sunni, they killing Shia, and Shia, they killing it Sunni. That's what happened. Yeah. A civil war. Civil war, exactly. Yeah. And all of it from Iran. Yeah. All of it from Iran. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, we had our own civil war. I think a lot of countries end up having civil yeah. wars and everything and challenges for various reasons and such. Um, but in, in when there's no order, I mean, then it becomes chaos. People get 
you know, um, and, and you got to understand the history of this. I mean, we we look back as uh, at times and read books on um, things like how the United Kingdom today or Great Britain was actually divided into multiple kingdoms, you know, yeah. how um, clans existed within Ireland and Scotland. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there's no difference to what we're talking about right here in your own country and that, you know, at that time frame, these were little clans, little yeah. tribes yeah. that there were individual loyalty to the person who led that tribe to occupy, yeah. to work uh, for, to, you know, as it's a family in a sense and their survival. Well, not even necessarily within the town, even within the town. I mean, like you had like a famous area, Sadr city of Baghdad. Okay. That, that guy, I mean, Sauter was the man in that area. He started the militia. He had everything going on. Like he, he was what people gravitated to when their sense of center or their sense of leadership was gone. You'd kind of take over these, you know, if, if something happened at the state or national level here, people would start kind of banding together and where they're at. And I think that's probably had a lot to do yeah. with it is um, Air Force is gone. The all armor capabilities have laid yeah. down. Like so, who's what's the next best thing? Probably the guy that has been leading us with the militia. The yeah. Yeah, with the militia, with the militia at that militia, point. Yeah. yeah. But those militia is like, like a gang. Mm -hmm. uh, like they, they came. I don't know. They didn't educate it. Most of them, uh, like low life. Most of them. They didn't like respect any people. Like uh, some people, like high position, high rank, they don't respect it because they didn't go like through chain, uh, like uh, education yes. or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of uh, the w over here we'd refer to as the wild, wild west. Um, yeah, where yeah. everything's a little chaotic and the whole bit. Exactly. Yeah, what, what was your, it sounds like at least, but I want to get your um, sense of this. What was it like for yourself, maybe we'll start there, and what you believe the Iraqi people when Saddam was found? Yeah, at that time actually when they found him, they start uh, shooting bullets in the air. Yeah, because they are very happy. But even most of the Iraqi, to be honest with you, uh, like they said, look at his sons, Oday and Kosei, and even Mustafa, like Kosei's uh, son, mm -hmm. he was like 13 years old or 11 years old. They fighting until they die. They fighting, and him, they get him from the. Bunker, yeah, bunker, yeah, yeah, and they pull him like like a sheep. Yep, that shame. That's Even Hitler, like, put him his bullets, like, and his head, uh, like, if you lose everything, they're gonna cut you. Take your life. That's it. Be a hero. But he didn't do it. Yeah. He so it. Um, it was around that time frame, I guess, that you ended up fleeing the country, or when was it when you actually f um, fled Iraq? And came to America. When was it you came here? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's always a question. Uh, actually, uh, after 2003, after the everything done, so the uh, my friend called me to build up. They gonna build up a new Iraqi Air Force. That was in 19, I mean uh, 2004, on uh, December. Uh, sorry, November was that one. So uh, <clears throat> I apply again for the Iraqi Air Force. I go, went for medical check and everything, and they sent me to uh, training course to Jordan to fly C-130. I stayed there for uh, six months. After that, they sent me to, uh, I went back to Iraq. After that, they sent me to Little Rock Air Base to finish like the course over there. That was in 2005. So, but my, my family, my wife and my kids, uh, her parents, they live in the United States a long time ago, since a long time ago. So they make her uh, a paper, to they call it uh, reunion, joint reunion, something like that. 
So they left the country in 2004. I was by myself at that time. So they went to United States to get a green card, then came back to Iraq. At least they have a green card anytime she wants to visit her parents. That's, we think that Iraq is going to be stable. Anyway, so I finished, uh, I came here for a training course in 2005. I visited my family. Then I went back to Iraq to complete my service over there. So they start threatening me. They start, every other day they send me a letter from jihad, uh, Al-Qaeda, from jihad, from uh, everywhere, everything. Then uh, finally they send me uh, a death certificate. Yeah, that's, uh, I take all these papers, I went to Iraqi headquarters, they tell me we can't do anything, then I went to uh, US Air Force over there, like, uh, the, because I was beside the Iraqi mm -hmm. Air Force, they told, they told me we can't do anything, just take care about yourself. Even when I take them the death certificate, they, it's not a joke. They send me death certificate. They tell me, we can't do anything, just take care about yourself, or you stay here in the air base. It's boring there, I can't stay there. So uh, I start going to my house. Like, then one day I was, uh, let me see, because now I start going away from your question, because I want to make it like uh, in sequence to reach when I left the Iraq. Right. So <clears throat> one day I was in my house, there's no power, so I want to drink uh, liquor, so I need ice. So I try cross the street, and my neighbor crossed the street, I went to them to take some ice from them. Because they have generator, they have like uh, that one. So they have ice. It was like uh, very hot, it was in April. So uh, his wife, his wife, she told me, okay, get in with my husband. Let's do, let's sit together, drink, and make a, and make a dinner for you guys. I don't know, I wanna go. He said, no, please get in. She get me inside. Not even 10 minutes. Tons of bullets I see in my house. Two cars, actually. Two pickup truck from uh, Ministry of Interior, which is at that time, at that time, Ministry of Interior is controlled by better organization. Better organization is controlled by Iran. So they have a big list. They have a big list for all the pilots. You were a high-value target, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. yeah. They have a big list for, because every day, every day, every other day, I heard of this person get killed. This my friend, his name Oday, could say whatever, like you know, those like person Hussam or get killed. So they have a big list, but they thought I was there. But who who saved my life? The drinks, the alcohol. <laughs> the alcohol. So, till up to date, like, <laughs> I drink every day. You absolutely. And thanks, I thanks say I pay for it, the alcohol. <laughs> what a great story. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they jump to pick up a tra uh, truck up around like seven or six people. They jump in my, in my yard and uh, they tons of bullets on all the windows try to kill me over there and they run because that area area like I was living in Do Dora, Dora it was like most of the Sunni no Shi'i there at that time and Shi'i get killed over there because you know they start hating each other so this area this city like part for Sunni this part for Shi'i it get divided so they run away so all these actually uh, thread letters is not from Al-Qaeda or wherever. That's what I'm thinking, from them. Ah. Yeah, from better organization. Because better organization, they concentrate on the pilots. Let's we say, maybe, uh, all, all I know, like my friend, maybe above 100 pilots, they get killed. All of them, my friends. Some of them, I didn't know them. But that's what I hear, like, 
I hear like Sam get killed, uh, Mike get killed. Those I know them like directly. I know them get killed. But some of them like after me like a couple uh, courses, I'm not in touch with them. Did they uh, assume at this point, though, that you were dead? Do you think they then thought? Yes. Oh. Yes. So as soon as possible, like, you know, I, I stay in the, my neighbor till morning. I get my passport. I went to my father's house, my dad's house. So I tell them that's what happened. I take a picture at the same time. I went to, to again, to Iraqi uh, Air Force headquarters. And looks what happened. And it was like... Uh, there's a pilot in uh, Iraqi, uh, I mean, uh, U.S. Air Force. He told me, what are you doing here? Your family is in the United States. So get away from here. Why? They, are you still waiting to, until they get, take off your life? So I'm thinking about it. Okay. So immediately I went to my father's house in a different area, in a different city. But still in Baghdad. Second day, take off to Amman. That was in 2006. On April 2006, I left the country. Since that time, I never, never moved from the United States. But I moved like a travel, different states. Mm -hmm. But outside the country, no more. Wow. I mean, you know, you look back in that time frame and everything and all that was going on, especially in our 20-year war in Iraq and then Afghanistan and everything else. This, that time frame was a very pivotal uh, piece. But I think also you were, you were lucky in the sense that you had family here in the U.S. that you could go to. You know, you were very fortunate in that sense. And Did thanks God, like my kids, they, when they came here, the oldest one was, uh, she was in uh, last grade in high school, and the other one uh, was in 10th grade. My son was in uh, third grade, and little baby still four years. And thanks God, like, uh, my oldest daughter, get, she get a PA, you know, like physician assistant. Yeah. And the second daughter, she got a PhD in infection disease. She's a doctor. Wow. And my son, he got an electric engineer, and he worked for British Aerospace Engineering, BAE. And I don't know if yeah. you know that one. And uh, the youngest one, uh, next year, going to graduate as uh, she finished uh, law school. How challenging, yeah. for, the, for those who are listening that doesn't understand the impact of what you just described, how how uh, difficult would that have been? Yes, it's very difficult. Even I mentioned in the book, actually, when they, because when they move here in 2004, there is no Google Transit or something nope. like that. Nothing like they have to open the dictionary yeah. and they read uh, what's that word, how they spell it, yeah. and uh, check it in the dictionary. And they're crying. They're crying because it's hard to them. Yeah. And after two years, this is my second daughter. <laughs> she got like high degree in uh, <laughs> from the high school. Yeah, yeah. And even I mentioned there, like because she was very smart in math. So uh, one of the, her friends, she paid her fifty dollars. Tell her, please don't don't answer like all the questions. Don't take full mark. Because otherwise you're gonna like they. So gonna she can help it. beat the curve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's gonna yeah. score the highest. Exactly. She's yeah. gonna score exactly. the highest yeah. anyway. So <laughs> yeah. ease off a little bit so we can all get the extra bump. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the teacher, like when they have the test, she call her and come on, sit here. She take her away from the, <laughs> the <laughs> student. At the end of your book here, you wrote. I want to return to the sky before I die. I want to feel the rush of taking off a runway, feel the freedom of flight, feel the power of piloting an aircraft. Some people talk about being destined to do something in life. They talk of having a purpose or calling. And while I cannot speak of the will of God for my life, I can tell you this. I was born to fly just as surely as I know my name is Muhammad Suleiman, that I was born in Iraq and now call Michigan my home, that I love my children and cherish my grandchildren. 
I know that I was born to fly. It is my blood and in my veins, woven into the fabric of my being. I am, I always was, and always will be a pilot. That's my, yeah. Oh, make my ghost bump now. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful. Were you able to get back to flying then? Oh my God, this is like another story. Well, do you want to take a talk? Yes. Yeah. In 2012, 11 actually, 2011, I applied to FAA, all my documents and my license, everything. So uh, to be a pilot again, to get a license here. Then after, the, after that semi letter, they, uh, they, they check actually, they sent all those, my um, license, they send it to the source, which is like in Jordan. They try to find out my license there. Then after that, they after six months, because that one it doesn't like goes by computer. It should be like letters between them. So they found out it's misspelling in, in my last name. Mohammed Suleiman. They they write it Mohammed Salman, but in Arabic. It's the same thing, right? It's, it's, a, same a, thing. it's a translation issue. Yeah. yeah. My passport, Mohammed Suleiman, is right. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, like as. Yeah. So they said it's misspelling in the last name. That's mean not you. No, I tell them that that was me. And they have all the documents here. I try to correct it with the Jordan. It takes me a year. Take me three years to correct it. After they correct it, because I can't, I can't leave the country to go there. Because still, I don't have any. Imagine, up to date, only have the green card. I don't have American citizen. I've been since 2006 here. Usually, after five years, I get that one. Yes. Yeah, because every time they tell me, oh, immigration, they're looking for, uh, for the like Saddam pilot for because I was in the, in the air force in the military. I mean, big question marks. Anyway, so <clears throat> so after correct my name, I send it to them. They tell, oh, now the license get expired. I tell them, you know what? It's not like that one because my name is Mohammed. That's why I get mad. Sorry, I need to say that. Yeah. So I disregard everything. That's so sad. Yeah, I was actually hoping for do it again. Now I try to do it again. After I corrected, I told, okay, I'm going to get the license here. They told me start from the beginning. Like, like how is the, your friend here? Start from beginning. I told him, okay, I have more than 3,500 hours. Those where are going to put it? It's like, like it's not nothing happened. Like ashes? Nothing there? Wow. So I have to start from zero? I thought, okay, no problem. I'll start from zero. Now, after I get a new passport, because my old passport uh, get expired, now they put my tribe name, last name, like Mohammed Suleiman Arawi. Arawi is my tribe. It's not my last name. Last name, because here they take last name, it's my grandfather. Suleiman, his name is Suleiman. So they take the name. So uh, anyway, I applied for, they call it TSA, for background check. They told me, that's different passport. I thought, oh my God, again. I told them, I swear to God, this is like my old passport. This is, a, this is a visa, this is here, like a green card. They said, no, that's different. You have to fix it first. I told you know what, I don't know. I think God, he wants me to get back again to fly. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Maybe something going to happen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So what are you doing then today? Yeah, actually, I work with the U.S. Army as a, like a different, I went to different air bases. I mean, uh, military bases, different Folks, I went there. Uh, I trained American troops before. They send them to uh, Iraq as a culture, as uh, how they deal with the Iraqi army, how they are in meeting, what they expect over there, just to keep them away from the problem and save them life. And also, I work at the at the hotel as a maintenance. 
uh, together, like uh, this job and this job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope you do get a chance to fly it someday. Oh, yeah, and, and be able to fulfill this dream that you have yeah. here. Um, I'm sure it gives you great joy even when you get a chance to even get into an aircraft because mm -hmm. it's just that feeling. But I encourage people to go out, buy the book. Again, it's Flying the Tyrant. Um, you can find it out on Amazon and all the different places, of course, where you find your books. I believe that you can actually download even... Have you done the recording and everything, the Audible uh, file uh, yet? I think something wrong with the... Uh, with the I mean, uh, the other one... Is it audible or is it uh this the one that's actually the your language and you talking arabic. Your, yes uh, i ah. mean arabic yeah i try to get arabic but arabic i don't know they most of them uh, they don't read yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah they don't look at whatever so please go out take a look at it muhammad solomon i really appreciate first off you coming time. all of this way in order yes. to come on our show um and we hope, hope we hope people get a chance to go out there, learn more about it. There's so much more information that's in here that we didn't even touch uh, because I think it's important that people go out and buy the book and read the story and hear it from your own words. And uh, But I appreciate you sharing your journey. So glad you're here and you're able to, to share this story with you. And congratulations on your kids, your grandkids, everything that comes here after. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I hope can uh, FAA uh, see that, try to help me to do something. I don't want to like lose all my hours. <laughs> I hope they see that uh, video and do something for me. Yes, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Come on, yeah. FAA, help yeah. them out. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would say uh, first, uh, uh, lastly, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you for uh, Amber. Thank you to you guys again and to your studio. And would say, I would say thank you also to my writer, Lauren, and my yes. friend, uh, uh, Hamoudi. He, he was the person who connects me with uh, Lauren. Yes. Thank you again to you. Thank you very much.